remain standing for the reading of God's Word and turn with me to the book of John, chapter 8. I will read the first 11 verses. The title of my message, Condemned, Forgiven, Set Free. Condemned, Forgiven, Set Free. John, chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when he had, they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You may be seated. Look at verse 1. It's interesting to note that Jesus left Jerusalem and went to the Mount of Olives. It was late in the day. And as the sun was setting, he left the city of Jerusalem and went to the Mount of Olives. Many people believe that Jesus never spent one single night in the city of Jerusalem. They do refuse to stay in the city of Jerusalem at nighttime. This city was known for killing the prophets and rejecting messengers of God. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, listen to the words of our Lord. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. The inhabitants of Jerusalem rejected our Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected the prophets. He would be crucified here in a matter of time. If you will look back in chapter 7, please, the last verse, Every man went unto his own house. Everyone had a place to go. Everybody went to their home. It was late in the day. It was evening. The sun was setting. And obviously, they went to their own house. But of Jesus, verse 1 of chapter 8 says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. He left the city limits and went out to the Mount of Olives, refusing to stay in the same place with these people that rejected him. If you will look throughout chapter 7, you will find that he was not treated kindly in this previous chapter. Just look with me, and I'm going to cite a number of things that happened in chapter 7. That very day, 
that Jesus refused to stay in their city. And every man went to his own house, and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Verse 1 of chapter 7. The Jews sought to kill him. Verse 5. Neither did his own brethren believe in him. Verse 19. Jesus asked, why go you about to kill me? Verse 20. They said, thou hast a devil. Verse 23. Jesus asked, are you angry with me because I made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Verse 30. They sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Verse 44. And some of them would have taken him away, but no man laid hands on him. Now then look at verse 53 again. Every man went to his own house, feeling good about themselves. They threatened to kill Jesus. They sought to take him. They connived and sought every way possible that very day to do harm to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they ended their day by going to their own house. And notice in chapter 8 and verse 1, Jesus went out of their city and went to the Mount of Olives. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, Jesus said unto them, the foxes, listen to this, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Every man went to his own house. Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. And he said to them in a previous chapter recorded by Matthew, the gospel writer, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He came back into the city the very next day, early in the morning. If you'll just look with me, please, in chapter 8 and verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. Though he refused to spend the night in their city, he didn't turn away from them completely. He came back into their city early the next morning. Jesus is a very patient, kind, loving, forgiving, merciful Savior. Aren't you glad that he came again to you even though you rejected him many times in your life? Aren't you glad that when you didn't have the time of day for Jesus, that he gave you one more opportunity, the night that you had conviction of sin, and he came back? I believe Jesus came back on purpose because of a need. He came because of the distress of a woman who would, had been caught, accused of being caught in the act of adultery, and she had not one friend, had not one defender, had not one person to stand up and take her cause. Sometimes you may feel that the whole world is against you, but you remember this. Jesus died for you. Jesus cares for you. No matter what's gone on in your past, no matter what has taken place, and he'll go out of his way, and he'll come back your way again to see to it that you have an opportunity to have hope and to have peace. He came because a woman was in danger of being stoned and killed by a group of radical people. He came because he also wanted to bring people out of their darkness in this very same chapter. If you'll skip down to verse 12. We read through chapter 8, verse 11. But look at verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The proclamation that he made in this city, after that he had defended this woman and given her back some hope and a chance to live and a chance to be the person that God created her to be, he said, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not continue to walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is a very important verse. My wife and I were driving from Fredonia, Kansas, back to Jacksonville. Oh, I don't know how many years ago it was that Gary almost had his eye put out. In a fishing accident, his line was caught and he pulled on it, yanked real hard, the line broke, and the, the lead sinker rifled back into his eye, almost blinding him and almost putting out his eye. We got word of this just as we arrived in Kansas for our vacation. We turned around, got in the car and came back. And on the way back, we prayed the whole way. We prayed that he would not lose sight in that eye. And as we were driving, God gave me this verse of scripture. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Shall not, catch that? Shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When we got to their house and uh, went in, he was in a totally darkened room. No light because uh, of the injury and the treatment that was being given to him. And so we read this verse of scripture and claimed this verse and prayed this verse over and over and over again. And again, we prayed this verse when recently he had the retina detachment in that same eye. And again, we had to stand on this verse. I've stood on this verse for Kay with her eye problems many, many times. I've stood on this verse for many people who have been threatened with blindness and have been threatened with eye disease because I believe that we can claim passages that have been quickened to our heart and stand on. But Jesus came back into the city that had rejected him, that had threatened to kill him, that had threatened to take him. And over and over again, we read it in chapter 7. So he went out into the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he came back to spare this woman from certain death by stoning. And then in the very next verse, after the first 11 verses, he said, I'm the light of the world. He wanted the inhabitants of Jerusalem to know there's hope. Everything's not lost. God still loves you. My father still offers you salvation. And I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. He brought the light of life into an adulterous woman, a person accused of adultery. We don't know that she was actually guilty, but at least she was accused and her accusers were there. And so here she was condemned, a condemned woman, please. And he brought light in her dark hour. This was a dark hour for a woman in Israel to be accused of adultery. It's certain death by stoning. This was their custom. And so they would take great delight in making an illustration and a public example out of a person that had been convicted and condemned, whether or not they were guilty, if they were convicted and condemned, they would be stoned to death. And it would be a pub public spectacle. And so Jesus then came back into the city because he was the light of the world. He comes back into your situation, back into your dark night, back into your hopelessness, back into your destitute uh, existence. And he says to you, I have some light to shine on your pathway. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Follow me, believe on me, and I'll show you light once again. There is hope. So he came back to announce. Look in verse 36, here in this chapter 8. I love this. While chapter 7 is filled with 
people trying to kill him and trying to take him and trying to arrest him. Chapter 8 is filled with his offer of hope and light in the time of darkness. In verse 36, he says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. There was one woman in that city that could testify, Praise God, I'm free. How many people do I have in this room tonight that can testify, Praise God, I'm free. Shout it out, men, and say, I'm free. Say, thank God I'm free. Many of you were bound with many problems. Maybe you deserve to be stoned. Maybe you deserve condemnation. Maybe you were guilty. Maybe you were falsely accused. But Jesus came to make you free indeed. And I love it. It's in the same chapter. Look at verse 3. The woman who was taken in adultery. The scribes and the Pharisees bring the woman that they claim was taken in adultery. This religious crowd, please, this religious crowd brought the woman, cast her in, into the bare presence of the Lord and set her in the midst, the Bible says. Now what they have here is a public trial. They want to air this before the city, before the elders of the city. They want to make a public example of her. They're really trying to put Jesus in a situation that they could condemn him also. But anyway, they were willing to use this woman so they set her in the midst, a public trial to compound her shame. Already she was guilty in their eyes. And now then they're multiplying the shame heaped upon her by making this a public example. Do you know, friends, it doesn't help to advertise people's faults and failures and shortcomings. It doesn't help to make public examples out of people in our church that have been down the... the rough part of life, and, and they've been guilty of all kind of bad things. In fact, sometimes I, I caution people about their testimony. Be careful because you're going to have children, you're going to have grandchildren, you're going to have people that may always uh, wonder if you're really straight again. And so uh, sometimes I think people tell too much of their past. It's not our past that's so important, it's our present, the grace of God and the testimony of being free. Glory. Everybody can say praise God. Everybody can say amen. Amen. She was accused of being taken in adultery. And so they perform a public trial to compound her shame. In verse 4, we see the accusation. This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. As I said, adultery was a serious violation. I looked up the Old Testament references for the penalty for adultery in Deuteronomy, in Numbers, in Leviticus, and they were sometimes uh, executed in different ways, but the common way was by stoning. And capital punishment by stoning was legal in their society and in their culture. And in verse 5, that's what they asked for. Look at verse 5, please. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now what they're trying to do is put Jesus on the spot. If Jesus contradicted Moses' law, what would they do? They're saying, you're not faithful. You're not a true Jew. You're violating our religion. And he would have been in trouble with the Jews. He would have been accused of trying to destroy the Old Testament law. If he had said, yes, she deserves to be stoned, go ahead and stone her. Then he would be confronted by the Romans saying that he is exercising judicial power 
of allowing somebody to be executed. So either way he answered, he would have been in trouble. So what did he do? He didn't do anything. He said nothing. He stooped down and began to write in the sand. If the death penalty were exercised in our day and time for adultery and fornication, we'd have bedlam in our society. We'd have so many funeral services that the preachers wouldn't be able to do anything but perform funerals. Can I have an amen? I'm sure that in the room like this, we know of people who have committed adultery. We know of people who have committed fornication. And if all of them were lined up to be stoned to death, then the cemeteries couldn't hold the population of this, these newly executed people for adultery and fornication. It is still a serious crime. It is still a serious sin. And so we don't want, Jesus did not minimize. I'm going to prove that to you. He didn't minimize that. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, because I don't want anybody to think tonight that we look lightly on the sin of adultery. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. For such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Every guilty person who's ever committed any of those vile sins today can testify to the grace of God and saying, I am no longer condemned. I am walking as a child of God. I am washed in the blood of Jesus. God does not hold me accountable any longer. I've been justified. I've been set free. Also in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So we're told in the Bible that adultery is a very serious sin. Now Jesus stooped down in verses 7, 8, and 9 and began to write on the ground. What did he write? Everybody has their own idea, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. We don't know. The answer to the question what Jesus wrote on the ground is, I don't know. <laughs> but I wonder... Something upset this group of accusers. I wonder if he began to list their sins. As he looked at them, he was writing number one, number two. And he went on down the line. I don't know. <laughs> As I said, we really don't know. Let me ask you a question. Here's a woman caught in the act of adultery. Where's the other guy? Or the men? Where's the guilty man? Or where are the men who are guilty? You don't commit adultery by yourself. If she was caught in the very act, I mean, these children know better than that. They know good and well that if there's a guilty person caught in the act of doing something with another person, there's two people. And there could be more than two. And they only have one. So what's going on here? It is possible that she was framed. It is possible they made up this accusation. It is possible that this very group of people gang raped her. I don't know. We know something's amiss here for Jesus does not join in. He doesn't get caught in their spider web. 
He doesn't yield to the temptation that they throw at him to try to follow the, the rationale of, of the world. And he just simply is writing on the ground. And they're getting mad. They're getting upset. And so they ask him again. And he just looks up at them and says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then he stooped down and started writing again. I don't know if they looked over his shoulder and kind of peeked at what he's writing down there. And they, they began to worry about his record of their sins. Anyway, from the oldest person who was supposedly and allegedly the, the wisest person in the midst, he turned and said, I'm getting out of here. He dropped his stone and left. The next to the oldest followed him, and pretty soon every last one of them left the place. Jesus knew how to deal with them. He that is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. Not a one of them could claim innocence. Not a one of them could claim to be without sin. And in their life, this man is smart. This man has the wisdom of God. This man could read their background. This man had their record. This man knew what to say about their life. And they didn't want their past revealed. And so beginning from the eldest all the way down to the last, they exited stage right, if you please. They got out of there. Woman, where are thine accusers? Let me tell you something tonight. Your sins are not just written on, in sand. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17 and verse 1, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond, and it's graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. Somewhere there's a record of everything that you have ever done, or there was a record. I'll put it that way. <laughs> there was a record. We used to sing it a long time ago. I haven't heard this song in a long time. There was a, the old account was large and growing every day, for I was always sinning and never tried to pay. Aren't you glad the old account is gone? Aren't you glad that it's been obliterated, that Jesus abolished it, that he forgave your past, and now then you're free, and, and the record has been removed. You're no longer that person. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things are become new. Glory be to God. Woo. <laughs> but until God forgives, it's written with a pen of iron and we will answer to God for every sin that's not forgiven. Before the great white throne judgment of God in the book of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12, I saw the great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And listen to this. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Until your name is written in the book of life, your deeds are in the books in heaven. Your wicked deeds are recorded. God knows every one of them. But when he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, he wipes the slate clean in the other books. And there's nothing there any longer. You're no longer guilty. You've been justified. 
And that word means just as if I had never sinned. You've been reconciled. You've been brought back into right relationship with God. You're no longer under condemnation. This woman was condemned before she was ever brought to Jesus. That already decided her punishment. So she was condemned. But when, it, when they brought her to Jesus, they brought her to the Savior. If you come to Jesus with your guilt, you're coming to the right place. Because he doesn't want to condemn you. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so then you come before him, and you may be as guilty as anybody else. But then when he forgives you, you no longer are held accountable for those things which are forgiven. If you commit other sins, you'll have to confess them as you do them. But I'm thankful tonight that our past is gone. Praise God. They've been cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness and a sign posted there, no fishing. Praise God. One by one, verse 9 tells us, they left. Finally, Jesus looks up and stands up and he says, Woman, where are thine accusers? She says, There are, there are none, Lord. No man accuses me any longer. Now listen to his response. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Here is the promise that God gives. Not only does he give forgiveness, he removes the condemnation that you presently are living under, the guilty feeling, the terrible guilty conscience. The Bible says that these men were smitten by their conscience. The conscience is the high sheriff of heaven that God uses, the Holy Ghost uses it to arrest us and get our attention and make us feel guilty when we have not confessed our sins. So they, were, they felt guilty in their conscience. They were guilty of something. I don't know what all they had done. Jesus knew though. But Jesus said to this woman, neither do I condemn thee. In this proclamation, he is saying, I forgive you. He didn't justify her sin. He didn't say it's okay that you did this. He didn't agree with the adversary, but he, he just said, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I forgive you. Friends, that's what God is saying to you tonight. I want to forgive you. I want to cleanse you. I want to remove that guilt from your life. We're not here tonight to make you feel horrible and to make you feel, walk out of here feeling condemned, go and spend a restless night tonight feeling like you've been hanging over the pits of hell and the trap doors are about to be sprung and a spider web's hanging, uh, holding that trap door and you're about to fall down into the white heat of hell. But we're here to tell you Jesus loves you and he will forgive you. And he will cleanse you. And you can walk out of this place tonight a new person, knowing that what, what Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. <laughs> be changed. Be different. Be a new person. A new life. The past is forgiven. We're happy and free. Again, verse 12, and I close with this. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Your darkness will leave tonight the minute you turn your life over to God. The guilt of sin that's unconfessed, you have not repented of. You need to make it right with God tonight. Even if you're presently a Christian, there's some things that you've carried with you from your past life. You still harbor those feelings. You still read that literature. You still um, have some kind of fantasy with wrong in your past life. It all needs to come under the blood. It all needs to be cleansed. It all needs to be forgiven. And when you give it to God, you don't need to tell it to a priest. You don't need to tell it to the pastor. I tell you, I don't believe that man can make it right. 
I believe your high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, can make it right. And he will forgive you. He will change your life. Yeah, give him a hand. Praise God. He deserves the glory and the praise tonight. I want everyone to stand, please. Now, musicians to come back and our singers to come back. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In this room tonight, undoubtedly, there are Christians still struggling with some things that they need to turn over to God. You've been struggling. Even though you want to go to heaven, you believe your name's written on the Lamb's Book of Life, there's still some problems that you haven't completely given up. You need to make it right with God. You need to ask Him to forgive you, and He will set you free. I believe He'll do it tonight before you leave this building. No matter what your age, how well along in years you are, or how young you are, He'll do it. I believe those of you who have never been saved, Jesus is calling you tonight. He has come this way to give you an opportunity to have peace with God. He loves you very much, just like he loved this woman when she was unloved, she was condemned. She was on her way to a death sentence, and he interrupted everything and sent her accusers scurrying out of that place on their way. And he said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's his love message to you tonight. I don't know what was written in the sand. I don't know what's written in a pen of iron. But I know one thing. God can remove any of it. And he can change your circumstances. Let's sing, please, before we give the invitation. sing this again sometimes Christians stumble and they make the same mistake they made before they got saved and they feel like you know I'm just really a failure well because Satan took advantage of a weak moment in your life doesn't mean you're a failure God still loves you and he wants to give you another chance he wants to pick you up get you started back on the right track and tonight he's in this room I believe every person that has had a struggle in any area of your life this is God's night of deliverance. Something good is going to happen. We're going to sing this course again before we give the invitation. Come to the Father. investigators who feel called to dig up all the dirt that they can and air the failures and shortcomings of people but the Holy Ghost is one who just comes alongside as a friend and gently reminds us and says this is not right and I believe that's what he's doing tonight we're not here as investigators we're not here to point fingers we're here to love to forgive to heal to set free and to bring joy and to bring light in darkness 
to bring hope and despair. And in the next few moments, we're going to see some lives changed. I want everyone that just feels you, you need to pray about something. You need to pray. We're not asking for any degree of, of, of confession or anything. Maybe you want to pray for your family, a husband or a spouse, a wife or, or somebody in your family that just is away from God. Anybody that feels really moved on by God right now, come while we're singing this chorus. Come quickly. Come quickly. You need divine healing. You need a miracle in your finances. You need an answer to prayer regarding something very serious in your life. We want to believe God for everyone before we leave. And you know, this is our last Sunday prior to the Thanksgiving holiday. And I just want us to pray together before we leave this building. So I'm going to ask everyone to just walk as close as you can to the altars. We'll pray for these people kneeling. We'll also be here to pray for the sick and to lay hands on anybody that needs special prayer. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Whatever your need is, the Lord is here. He's in this room. I felt a special anointing, and I believe God wants to meet every need. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Pray for the people who've come to the altar right now. Father, we just pray for every person with a burden. Whatever that is, I want them to walk out of here tonight with a load lifted off. I want them to be free. I want the light of the world to shine on their pathway. Lord, we pray they will never walk in darkness. We pray the light of the world will shine on their pathway. Lord, I pray for forgiveness and cleansing. I pray that you will blot out every transgression. Lord, we confess everything that is wrong, every failure, every shortcoming. And we ask God for your forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, many have blown it. They feel like they failed. Give them a brand new start. Give them a brand new start tonight. In the name of Jesus, may they have hope, courage for the future. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God.
while they're singing softly I want everybody to pray this prayer I feel led to lead you in a prayer right now you're at the altar kneeling those of you standing everybody pray this prayer dear God I confess my sin I'm sorry that I failed I want to be whole I ask your forgiveness make me clean and pure wash me in the blood give me the peace of God restore the joy of salvation let me walk out of this place a new person free from condemnation with the joy of the Lord thank you for hearing my prayer thank you for your great love I accept it now in Jesus name now I want everybody to give the Lord a praise offering thank God thank God thank God thank God thank God thank God hallelujah 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 praise God now, I just want to say to you I believe the Lord has dealt with some areas of our life that's very important I want you to walk out of here tonight determined I'm gonna walk in victory I'm gonna be an overcomer the devil's not getting the best of me I will be sold out to God I'm gonna be a new person God bless you we'll be here to pray for anybody with special needs you're dismissed <laughs>